Suit yourself. Real-time scenarios with real residents. Welcome, doctor. Let's have a conversation to debate some clinical scenarios. This is to prepare you for your oral board examinations. You can answer the questions as you see fit, as you would for your normal clinical practice. You have seven minutes to answer each scenario. Let's get started. Your first patient's a 75-year-old woman. She's presenting to the emergency department. And the emergency department has consulted you because she complains of numerous urinary tract infections and pneumaturia. How would you like to proceed? All right, I'm uh, going to see this patient in the uh, ED. I'll make sure the patient is being actively resuscitated with her presentation. Uh, if the patient is able to answer my questions or has a family member with her, I'll start with the history, asking about the uh, onset of symptoms, when did things start, how long have she had these uh, episodes, um, if she's having any systemic symptoms, fevers, chills on this presentation, and any other associated signs and symptoms, past medical history, uh, past surgical history, and I'll proceed with a physical exam and a set of vitals. Okay, she's actually relatively healthy 75-year-old. She doesn't take any chronic medications, but she also doesn't see a doctor regularly. She complains over the last year, she's had four urinary tract infections and her primary care doctor keeps putting her on antibiotics. The infections will get better, but they will always come back. She also describes a very strange sensation when she sits on the toilet and urinates. When she tries to empty her bladder, she feels the sensation of air coming out. Otherwise, she tells you she has no history of cancer in her family, and otherwise you do an exam. She has some slight tenderness in the left lower quadrant. She has no surgical incisions. Heart and lung exams are normal. She is afebrile, and her vitals are normal. Okay, uh, I'll send the first set of labs. Uh, again, I'm making sure my patient has an IV and getting uh, IV fluids, lactated bringers, resuscitation. Uh, I'll get a CBC, BMP, um, a PTNR, and uh, a lactic acid for now. And okay. I'll, I'll send a UA as well. Very good. So you send a UA, it is uh, grossly dirty with bacteria, leucosterase, consistent with urinary tract infection. She has a mild leukocytosis of 14,000. She has slight hemoconcentration with a hemoglobin of 14 and creatinine of 1.2. Otherwise, nothing highly concerning on blood work. Okay, with the left lower quadrant tenderness and the uh, pneumaturia and the UTIs, I have a high suspicion of my differential for a diverticular disease or other, it could be uh, a malignancy or other disease with fistulization to the, uh, to the bladder. I think with the abdominal pain and the white count, I will proceed with a CT scan of the abdomen and pelvis. Uh, with IV contrast. If I can give PO contrast, uh, I will do that if the patient is able to tolerate it. Okay. So you give uh, a, a bolus of IV fluids as well, and you send the patient for a CT scan with PO and IV contrast. The CT shows some inflammation in the left and sigmoid colons. There seems to be pandiverticulosis. There's also seems to be some inflammatory stranding around the dome of the bladder, and there seems to be a close approximation of the sigmoid colon to the the bladder. There also seems as well to be a small focus of air within the dome of the bladder. Okay, I think this uh, uh, this confirms my, my suspicion with my diagnosis being um, diverticular disease most likely with um, uh, colovesicular uh, fistula. I'm going to treat the episode of the acute diverticul diverticulitis on this admission conservatively, not operatively keeping the patient NPO on IV fluids and broad-spectrum antibiotics IV. And I will treat the, to make sure that my antibiotic coverage covers my UTI as well. 
What if in this situation, the CT scan showed a 3.5 centimeter abscess? How would you proceed differently? So the 3.5 centimeter abscess for uh, associated with diverticular disease or acute diverticulitis, I'll also manage non-operatively, but I'll um, send the patient for an IR drain placement uh, for drainage of the abscess and leaving a drain in place. Would you plan to do surgery on this admission? Uh, not on this admission, not for the diverticular disease if the patient approves and not for the uh, for the fistula either. What criteria would you use to discharge the patient? Uh, once the patient is, uh, I will start advancing the patient's diet. Once I'm sure that she clinically, her abdominal exam is improved, she has no tenderness. I'll start her uh, and improve her progressively. The white count, ideally, I would want it to normalize. Um, before I proceed, but I would need at least a clinical criteria, clinical improvement to be evident. Um, once the patient is able to tolerate the diet and the pain is controlled, uh, I will finish a course of antibiotics of seven to 10 days and send her home. Okay, so she does well. You are able to send her home and you see her back in the office in about two weeks. What's the next step for her? Uh, the next step, she, this this was a, com whether it's just the fistula or whether it's the abscess scenario, these are complicated acute like diverticulitis episodes and she's had these in the past, you said. So I would definitely uh, consult the patient on my recommendation for surgical management. I would work her up before that, if that's what we're gonna proceed with. I would want to do a cystoscopy just to confirm my diagnosis and a colonoscopy fully to see the rest of my uh, colon before I proceed with uh, surgical management. When would you do the colonoscopy? At, six to, at least six weeks after the uh, resolution of the diverticulitis episode. Okay, so you perform cystoscopy, and uh, unfortunately, you don't find anything abnormal other than some debris in the bladder, but okay. you don't see any evidence of fistula. You do colonoscopy as well, and there's pandiverticulosis. Again, no evidence of fistula. There are some polyps there resected, but they seem to be benign. The patient desires not to have any further episodes, and she agrees to surgery. Describe your steps. So I'm going to schedule the patient for a laparoscopic sigmoidectomy and a primary anastomosis. Uh, I'll place the patient supine on the table. I'll place my ports pointing towards the uh, towards the left lower quadrant for uh, four ports. I'll start by taking down um, my uh, my uh, sigmoid pedicle. I'll make sure I have vascular control. Then I'll take down the line of toll, mobilize my sigmoid down to the uh, sacral promontory. And I'm sure I've mobilized enough for any take on splenic flexure and do a primary anastomosis. How would you perform your anastomosis primarily? Um, I would um, I would use an EEA stapler. I'll make sure I put the anvil through the uh, through the distal end of the descending colon and place the EEA stapler from the rectal side and perform an anastomosis. Now, when you're performing the surgery, you are trying to get the sigmoid off of the bladder. And after some difficult dissection, you know that there's a two centimeter hole. Uh, I will, um, if I'm able to get my urology colleagues, I can bring them in to help me repair it. Otherwise, I know I need to repair the bladder in two layers, an inner absorbable and outer uh, non-absorbable suture layer. I will keep a Foley in place uh, for 14 days after surgery. Okay. Um, now, post-operatively, you notice that uh, the patient is on day five having fevers and the white count is increasing. The patient also has poor food intolerance. How would you work that up? Um, post on day five, I will definitely start with a full fever workup. I'll get a chest x-ray. I'll get a, get a UA through, through the Foley, not ideal, but that's what I have. Uh, I'll make sure I can, uh, the patient is having fevers with the discomfort. Um, 
AstraZeneca CBC with blood cultures. And if I need, um, um, well, of course, based on my full physical examination as well, if I have suspicion for low extremity DVT, I can do that, but I'll start with these findings. If these are negative, post-op day five, I have a suspicion for an abdominal process with a leak at my anastomosis site. So I can also address that if that's where my suspicion is going. Okay, very good. Thank you, doctor. So clearly Dr. Shukir knows his stuff. This is honestly almost as close to a six as we get in real life. Uh, Dr. Tenori, what made this style a little bit different? Because it sounded a lot more back and forth between the two of you. Yeah, this is a clear case of a, of a high cadence question. The examiner has a lot of questions and a lot of different scenarios. And I think Dr. Shukir did an excellent job of gauging how the questions were being asked and making appropriate length answers so that there was a good back and forth. I noticed he didn't have a lot of, I'll do this if this happens, and this if this happens, and this if this happens. It was really an answer to the question that was being asked. Exactly, and that's why this went like a great tennis game, where it was just back and forth, back and forth. Great job. Very nice. All right, today we get to talk about one of my absolute favorite oral boards topics, and this is complex diverticulitis. But more specifically, what we want to talk about is the management of colovesicular fistulas. Now, complex diverticulitis is a wide range of topics, but one of the things that you may encounter is the case of a patient coming to your office and having urine mixed with air come out when they strain. This is a classic sign that you're dealing with a complex diverticulitis. You may have gotten the history of previous episodes of diverticulitis, or you may have not. But the most important diagnostic here is the history. If they're passing air when they're urinating, they have a colovesicular fistula. You may be tricked by doing a barium study or a cystoscopy or a colonoscope and have no findings, but do not be dissuaded. The fistula is there if the signs are there. One of the th things that you can also check is a CT scan. And if you see that the sigmoid colon is in close approximation to the dome of the bladder, that can also be a clue that the fistula is present. When you go to operate on these patients, you want to make sure that they're, of course, optimized and have good nutrition and that you've waited enough weeks and that you've done the normal workup with a colonoscope and biopsies. But then you'll get to the question of, should we use stents or not for complex diverticulitis? There's no right or wrong answer on the boards, but make sure that if you say stents, you understand that they do not prevent a ureteral injury, and you may get an injury anyway if you do use stents. So I'll leave it at your discretion whether or not you use them. During the case, you're going to end up with a hole in your bladder, and so you have to be able to describe how you fix the bladder. The key words for this are you need a two-layer closure, you should be using absorbable suture, and you need to do a leak test. Post-operatively, it's very simple to manage. You leave the Foley in for a week or 10 days, and then you can do a post-operative cystogram to confirm that your repair has held. The colon part of this operation is how you would manage any old diverticulitis case, whether or not you do a Hartman's or you do a primary anastomosis and a diversion, or you go straight with a reanastomosis with no diversion is really gonna depend on the patient factors such as stability, age, and comorbidities. But a very interesting topic, it can go a lot of different ways, and I'm sure that we'll be covering it again 
in a different flavor later on. Music